Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, October 21st. The jockeying continues down the home stretch of the 2022 season. There are so many storylines for tennis fans to keep their eyes on. So many different reasons to continue to watch all the action unfold across the ATP and WTA Tour. Now, I am a member of the camp of thinking that these late season results do matter to the big picture moving forward. I know October, November tennis, not the most significant on the ATP or WTA calendars. That said, I'm not going to go through the full list, but you think of guys like Aslan Karatsev, who was killing it at the challenger level to end 2019, uh, 2020, excuse me, to those nerds who follow that closely, his breakout at the start of 2021, albeit still surprising. I don't think anyone saw Australian Open semifinals coming, but for him to have success, become a top 100 player, not shocking if you saw his form to end 2020. Similarly, you think of players like the Sarundalo brothers had a ton of late season challenger success. It translated immediately to the South American ATP clay court swing. Of course, you have other players who have done it at a slightly smaller level, Riley Opelka, J.J. Wolf. I think about the guys who have had success at the American Challengers, who then go on to have pretty strong starts to their corresponding seasons in January, in February, on the hard courts. The point is... I can point to countless examples of players who have found success, found momentum for themselves to end a season and have used that success, translated it into the following year and ridden that momentum into career breakout seasons. And I think Jessica Pagula, by the way, just quickly, another player to end 2020 who capitalized on that success to start 2021 and look at where we are now. The point is lots of fun for us here on this podcast. Plenty of meat on the bone for us to discuss. And I do want to switch things up a little bit on today's show. I know the most prevalent storyline of the week is the chase for the 2022 WTA year-end championships. We will know after this week who the eight players competing in Fort Worth will be. That's been the storyline I have led every show with. That said, I'm going to change things up today. I want to talk about some of the action happening on the men's side of things. In particular, want to take a deep deep dive, excuse me, into two of the Italians having success over in Napoli. Obviously, those Italians, Matteo Berrettini, Lorenzo Musetti, and I have alluded to this Berrettini stat in the past. Coming into the week, he was under 500 in two out of three set matches played at the tour level on hard courts. And yes, that is a niche category to discuss. Two out of three set hardcore ATP tour matches. Lots of disclaimers to that statistic. It's also worth noting right off the bat, Matteo Berrettini has made a semifinal at both the Australian Open as well as the U.S. Open. That said, he's only made six tour-level hardcore semifinals in his career. That number feels a little bit low, and I wanted to take a deeper dive into the numbers, into the results to see why that fact might be. Of course, he's looked excellent this week in wins over Carbeas Baena and Taro Daniel, but... You know, for the 26-year-old Italian, again, 
that number just feels wrong. And so I want to take a deeper dive into it for you listeners to kind of explain where that number comes from. Of course, on the other side of queen uh, things, other side of queens, other side of things is what I meant to say and how you say that in English. The glass is half full for Lorenzo Musetti. The 20-year-old Italian has ended his 2022 season in exceptional fashion. It's a third straight semifinal for Musetti as he reaches the semifinal round in Naples, a comprehensive straight set victory for him to advance. And now he's up to a new career high of number 24 in the live rankings. And just looking at the rankings, I know this sounds very intuitive. There are only 20 spots in the top 20 of the rankings. And I look at some of the young guys coming up, obviously Alcaraz, Sinner, you feel like they're going to own two of those spots for the foreseeable future. But you know, again, when you look at players like a Musetti, like a Runa, like a Miamir Kasmenovic, Runa Kasmenovic, both semifinalists this week as well. Obviously, Sebi Korda's gone on a really good run. Finalist last week, semifinalist in Antwerp here moving forward. I don't want to forget Felix Ogier Aliasim, who, as of me recording this podcast, is in a third set with Dan Evans, but obviously won a title last week. And is very much alive in the running for the year-end championships on the men's side this season. That top 20 gets really crowded really quickly. And as a tennis fan, how can you be anything but excited moving forward? The depth is clearly going to be there on the men's side. But how do these players begin to separate themselves? Again, to get to this recurring theme of today's episode of the jockeying continuing. That's why, in my opinion, this late season tennis matters because being ranked inside the top 32, now you're seated at the slam. Now your pathway to a second week at a major is hypothetically that much easier than a guy who's unseated. Of course, the higher you are in the rankings, the draws get better at the Masters 1000 events as well. You're likely seated at the 500 level events. You know, the draws Again, hypothetically easier in those scenarios as well. As long as you're inside the top 50, you probably get to play all the big events as well, thus giving yourself at least a chance to gain the highest level of points needed to continue to climb the rankings. Things are getting very crowded very quickly. And I think big picture, that's something for us to discuss this offseason, that maybe the depth on the men's side is finally matching that depth we see on the women's side. Certainly feels like the next five, ten years are going to be very exciting and, dare I say, parody-filled in both men's and women's professional tennis. But I think we're seeing that manifesting this week in this late October run on the calendar. Of course, I mentioned the Italians in Naples. I mentioned Miamir Kasmenovic in that semifinal. We'll break all of that event down. We'll talk about the action in Stockholm. I mentioned how exciting those quarterfinals were. Certainly, I thought the tennis played out well, whether it was Tsitsipas's Closer than the scoreline would indicate, and it was honestly a close straight set match via the scoreline between him and Michael Emer, whether it was Holger Runa outlasting Cam Nori in three sets, Demon Hour just putting on a display of physicality in a straight set win over Shapovalov. Want to get into all of that. Talk about all the Antwerp action as well. Seppi Korda unleashing the full arsenal of weapons he has on Yoshihito Nishioka. It was a 
comprehensive victory for Corda, whose backhand just matches up so well with, in my opinion, any lefty who's going to try and play with heavy top spin through it. So plenty of meat on the bone, as I alluded to, for us to discuss here on today's show. Want to get to it all. Of course, I will offer an update on the action in Guadalajara as well. I know that chase for the year-end championships on the women's side has narrowed, and I don't want to leave you listeners uninformed as you trust us to keep you apprised of everything happening day in, day out in the pro tennis world, of course. The reason we're able to do that is because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point who understand the necessity of providing fans with an episode covering everything happening day in, day out in the pro tennis world. They also understand that to play your best tennis, you got to feel comfortable on court. You have to be equipped properly. And look, it's that time of year for me as well. It's been about a year in the Nikes I'm wearing. As such, it's time for me to get that new pair of indoor shoes. And there's only one place to turn to if you're going to do it. It's Tennis Point. Is this the time for me to make the switch to an Asics, to an Adidas, to something else? Maybe it is that time for me to explore those other options. Maybe it's your time to do that as well. I know that anything you're looking for, not just shoes, but clothing, maybe you slim down this summer. Maybe you're just coming into this winter season bulkier because you put in that time in the weight room. You need to update your look. Tennis Point's got you covered. Rackets, strings, they've got every brand you could be looking for at the best prices. Go there today. You'll find what you're looking for. Use our promo code CR15 when you do make a purchase. Not only will it let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty tennis balls tennis dash point symbol not the spelling tennis dash point.com the promo code is cr15 with that said let's get into this week's action happening on the atp and wta tour and as i alluded to i want to start in napoli first of all shout out to italian tennis have put on an excellent sequence of ATP events to end this 2022 calendar. Of course, I don't need to allude to the countless challengers they've held in Forley in Parma over the course of the past year. All of you mini break listeners well apprised in those events. And look, correspondingly, we've seen a rise in Italian men's tennis in particular. Yes, Sinner, Berrettini steal the headline. Certainly Fabio Fonini over the years has been a staple of success. But you look at other guys, 21 years old, younger, who are inside the top 200, Francesco Passaro, Luca Nardi. You've got another guy uh, like a Flavio Cabello. There are other names I could allude to, not only inside the top 200, top 300, who are having success at those countless challenger events on home soil. Uh, It's very nice to see Italian tennis have the corresponding rise in the you know, I, I suppose corresponding to the amount of resources they have put into hosting ATP Tour and corresponding challenger events. And I mean, again, you have two semifinalists in an event on home soil. That's an ideal situation heading into a championship weekend. Let's start with a look at 26-year-old Matteo Berrettini. Look, I don't think I need to list Berrettini's accolades at this point to any listener of this show. Berrettini, since the start of this COVID era of the ATP tour. As you listeners like to know, I view August 2022 now as one really two and a half year sprint through the pro tennis world. Through that sprint, yes, there have been some injuries, but Matteo Berrettini, 80 and 28 overall 
since the start of August 2020. He's winning 74% of his matches. That's why he has consistently been a top 10 player. Now, he's fallen outside of the top 10 this season, but obviously that's due to the numerous injuries he has sustained. You look for Berrettini was obviously out this year from really Indian Wells through the start of the grass court season. And, you know, as such, hasn't played that many matches, only 42 here this year. That said, he's 31 and 11 overall this season, 74% win percentage. You look for Berrettini into the semifinals now in Naples. It's his fifth semifinal of the season. And that's a low number for Berrettini over the past few years. His real breakout was in 2019. He made nine semifinals that year, one of them at the challenger level, but one of them also at the U.S. Open, Shanghai Masters to end the year. So, yeah, that was a pretty good run. Uh, We'll throw out 2020 where he didn't make any semifinals, but that was a shortened season. Five semifinals last year. He went 5-0. The thing is, where were those semifinals? Madrid Masters, Wimbledon. You know, this year, semifinal to start the year at the Australian Open since then, Stuttgart, Queens Club, Stad, and now here in Naples as well. You know, that's not a top 10 number. That trails the Tsitsi Passes, Kasper Ruz, Andre Rublevs of the world, who have obviously had that opportunity to play a full season. That said, when you look for Berrettini, five uh, total semifinals in what, 12 total events, you look at the numbers, big picture, that's pretty darn, darn good from a percentage standpoint. When Matteo Berrettini has been healthy, he has had success on court. That said, you look for Berrettini coming into the week, as I alluded to, 38 and 39 overall in best of three ATP level matches on hard courts. That number now 40 and 39 after his two victories here this season. There have been some strange losses. Now, for what it's worth, you look for Berrettini since August 2020. He's 20 and 15 in best of three hard court matches. And you look at who some of those losses are to. He lost to Medvedev. Alcaraz, Zirev, Medvedev again, you know, four of those losses, I like to think, maybe not excusable, but certainly understandable. That said, you break it down by opponent. You look for Berrettini. He's 15 and 11 against opponents ranked outside the top 20. Nine and three against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Losses to Kasmenovic, who's now obviously a top 50 player. Giron and Carbeas Baina. So he's been pretty good at beating who he's supposed to beat in these best of three set hard court matches. Again, when you actually look into the numbers, nine and three against opponents, he absolutely needs to beat in terms of opponents ranked outside the top 50. 11 and 12 versus top 50 opponents, though, is very shaky. And this is where you want to take a deep dive at the numbers. You look for Matteo Berrettini, who... Is 39 and 19 overall on hard court since August 2020. He's breaking serve 17.1% of the time in those matches. The average top 50 player breaks serve 23.2% of the time. So a 6.1% deficit, even in best of five matches, Berrettini's break percentage isn't the best. Against top 50 opponents in best of three, his break percentage is 13.1%. It's better than Isner. It's better than Opelka. It's the only two players that would be better than at 13.1%. And look, in a shortened time span, yes, that backhand return is absolutely a liability. There's no doubt about that. And certainly looking at some of the players who have beaten him in the top 50 losses to Bublik, Opelka, they're particularly well-suited to expose that 
backhand of Matteo Berrettini. You look at losses to guys like Medvedev, Alcaraz, Zverev, Fritz. They're just obviously very good on hard courts. And, you know, that loss to Fritz, again, another server well-suited to serve to that Matteo Berrettini backhand and then capitalize on a first strike when he's in a defensive position. I mean, I guess what a look at the numbers tell me is everything we see with our eyes is true, that that Matteo Berrettini backhand against elite competition, it does break down. Now, over time, the dominance on his serve wins out, and I think that's another big number to look at for Matteo Berrettini. You look for him in best of three hardcourt matches overall, he's still winning 87.6% of his service games. That's a top 10 number, top eight number on the ATP tour. Uh, you look for him against opponents ranked outside the top 50. He's holding 90.6% of the time. That's a top three number. And in that elite 90% club against top 50 opponents, that number does dip to 85.7%. And while that number is above the average, 82.3% is the average hold percentage of a top 50 player, it's no longer definitively elite top five. You know, now he's, yeah, still a top 15 server, but now that break percentage really does become a liability. And again, over sustained amount of times, best of five sets, there's just more service games. And the reliability of his hold percentage, it's one of the non-negotiables. It's one of the best constants on the ATP Tour. And what was so exciting about his first two matches against Carbeas Baena, against Taro Daniels, how overwhelming his first forehand was. When Matteo Berrettini gets a chance to hit a forehand with his feet set, and this is not a revelation to any of you listeners, but the point is over. Like, he just had, there's that much weight behind that shot and his ability to hit it inside out, his ability to generate pace for himself, angle for himself, depth for himself, hitting it cross court as well. It's devastating. And his willingness and ability and confidence moving forward, hitting the overhead out of the air, hitting the high backhand volley, hitting the drop volley when the time calls for it. All of his instincts at the net are appropriate. He uses his size extraordinarily well at the net. Obviously, the serve on its own in a vacuum is exceptional. When Matteo Bertini plays on his front foot, even in a two out of three hard court match, he should be better than he is. And I suppose one of the big numbers you look at for Berrettini, 20 and 15 again on in best of three hard court matches since August 2020, he's 7 and 14 in tiebreakers during that stretch of time. That number should be better than it is. That's a number, you know, he's 23 and 17 on hard courts in tiebreakers overall, which means he's much better at the slams. What does that mean? He's 16 and three at the slams in breakers since August, 2020 on hard courts. That's a ridiculous amount of success. Why isn't that tiebreak success translating into the, uh, into the non-majors is the clutch factor, I suppose of that serve. Is it the reliability? When I say the clutch factor, is it his serve is so reliable in the big moments of slams that compared to other opponents who don't have that non-negotiable sure thing to turn to, that's why he has more success in slam tie breaks? Maybe. It's a thought worth looking into. Certainly the numbers make it intriguing, but he should be better than 7-14 and 14 in in tiebreakers uh, since August 2020 on hard courts in best of three. He's 4-11 in breakers against top 50 opponents on hard courts in best of three since August 2020. So again, a little look at the numbers, certainly what that tells us with our eyes. Elite competition have the ability not only 
the power to attack that Berrettini backhand constantly enough to keep him on his back foot, but also the consistency to repeatedly attack it throughout the course of a match. And that's why, to me, Matteo Berrettini is the definition of Tier 2. He will get to the second week. He will get to the quarterfinals. When he plays elite competition, there's just not a plan B. There's not a plan C. And when they can figure out plan A, what does Matteo Berrettini turn to? Again, 26 years old. The backhand has gotten a little bit better. You look at the numbers for Berrettini from a break percentage standpoint over the last few years. Has crept up over 18% in each of the last three seasons, which is above his career average of 181 How much is left for Matteo Berrettini to tap into in terms of upside moving forward in his career? That might be an interesting question for us to ponder this offseason. Some have said I'm one of the great ponderers of my generation, so maybe that's something for us to do uh, during a December podcast. Nevertheless, Matteo Berrettini, not much to say about his victories. Was lights out, broke serve in the opening games of Taro Daniel in sets one and two. And when you give Matteo Berrettini a break lead— it's very hard to come back from that deficit because you just you're always trailing. He can play that much more freely in his service games. Go after that first strike with that much more confidence. Maybe go big on a second serve when he otherwise wouldn't. Berrettini into another semifinal here this season again, fifth of the year, and sets up a matchup between he and Mackie McDonald. Mackie McDonald now. Very nice little run. Has won six of his last seven matches, or maybe it's five of his last six, since winning the Tokyo doubles title two weeks ago. Was a quarterfinalist last week. Now into the semifinals this week. A win over RBA that we discussed yesterday. Follows that up with a three-set win over Jijun Jung, who does look like he's going to become the first Chinese man to earn a top 100 ATP singles ranking. But... Look, Mackey's ability to take that ball early on the rise, make you uncomfortable, his willingness to move forward, his ability to absorb, redirect your pace, attack down the line, his fluidity in the corners, how dangerous he is on the run. Yes, that ball can get flat. Yes, the errors can pile up, whether it's just in the net or missing it just long. But when he calibrates everything correctly and is in rhythm, Mackie McDonald is capable of playing top 50 tennis, and this was a big week for Mackie. He was in jeopardy of falling outside the top 50 now, uh, outside the top 100, excuse me, but after quarterfinals last week, semifinals this week, back up to number 65, he's just in a good position now, heading into 2023. He's going to get to play the ATP 250 events leading into Australia, and is certainly going to get into the Australian Open, the French Open, at worst, probably Indian Wells in Miami qualifying. And that just keeps you in the ball game to get back into the top 50, continue to build at 27 years old. And, you know, again, Mackie with the injuries he sustained, the hamstring completely pretty much ripped off, and he was able to rehab one of the few people who benefited from, not benefited from, but the pandemic gave him time to get back into shape, get back into form by the time tennis resumed. And he's been a top 100 guy ever since. Don't want to fall out of that top 100, and with his finish to the season, now he won't. So again, has jockeyed well for position here. Berrettini 1-0 in the career head-to-head. Berrettini also a 78.2% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, for what it's worth. A lot of tennis on the body of Mackey. I actually do expect a Berrettini comfortable straight set victory. I'm very excited for the top half semifinal, and let's start the breakdown of that match with a look at fourth-seeded Lorenzo Musetti, the 24-year-old, three straight semifinals here 
in three well, not three consecutive weeks, I suppose, but in four, three of his last four weeks, but his last three events played. Now, semifinals indoors in Sofia was knocked out by the eventual champion, Mark andre Hussler. Semifinals last week in Florence was knocked out by FAA, eventual champion. Now, semifinalist here in Naples on the back of straight set wins over Laszlo Jura, a guy who had beaten him, I believe, five out of their six, uh, in five of their six previous head-to-heads, and then eight dominant three-in-love victory over Daniel Galan to get to the semifinals. And I do want to talk about that match in particular. Musetti fought off all seven breakpoints that he faced. He won 85%, 85% of his first serve points and played a brand of dominant first strike tennis that I didn't know he had in him. His willingness to go after the first forehand He snapped that ball off, and he was definitive with his first strike. Of course, he's always shown off the touch moving forward, his improvisational skills, fluidity in the outer thirds, athleticism on the defense. Um, They've always been exceptional. But his ability to find himself hitting the big first strike and just putting himself in comfortable positions to win free, easy points on top of the athleticism – That's the gear he needs to develop. He needs to have that plan A. He needs to have the first strike because if he's able to win points freely on top of that athleticism, that's a top 20 player. And Musetti flashed that in, again, a dominant victory over Galan. Galan's inside-out forehand, the heaviness of that ball, did not hurt the Musetti backhand at all. Musetti breaks in the opening game of each set. Musetti flashing the defense with this incredible on-the-run backhand flick of the wrist down the line to fight off a game point in the first game of the second set and then hits an unbelievable inside-out forehand to clinch the game and clinch the opening break. And again, that forehand, the backswing's a little bit big. The grip's still a little bit extreme. You do feel like elite pace might give that forehand problem still. We saw that again for Hoosler FAA. They served pretty consistently to that Musetti forehand, not his backhand wing, maybe even against Corda as well in France. That said... It's gotten better over the course of the past month. And again, he is hitting it more confidently. He is stepping inside the baseline, dictating a little bit more. The one-handed backhand is beautiful. It holds up against pace. He does have that ability to hit the slice, hit the drop shot, hit the short angle, hit the down the line. There are no deficiencies on that backhand wing. You look for Musetti. It's now 17-7, excuse me, since the start of his run to the Hamburg title in July, you win 71% of your matches over the course of three months. You have my attention. Four months, dare I say, having done it July, August, September, now October as well. And I mean, look at the wins. Beat Alcaraz in Hamburg, beat Sarundalo in Hamburg, Davidovich Fokina in Hamburg, Rusevori in Hamburg. Those are all top 50 wins. Now, beating the guys he's supposed to beat in Mackey, Zapata Morales, Jura, Galan doesn't drop a set in any of those matches. Yeah. He probably wants that Hussler match back, certainly the Cecinato match in Umag, although that came the week after his run to the Hamburg title. Still, 
You look for Lorenzo Musetti, 20 years old, currently 24 in the live rankings, a career high. Now there's a comfortable gap between he and 23rd Alex Diemenauer. And if he wins a title this week and Diemenauer loses in the Stockholm semis, Musetti would just be one point against Diemenauer, uh, one point above Diemenauer in the rankings would move up to 23rd. So not sure how much higher he's going to climb this week, but he's a top 30 player entering 2023. He's going to be seated at the slams. He's going to not have to play qualifying anymore and get into all the big events, Indian Wells, Miami, where, you know, earlier this season, that wasn't always the case. Again, 38 and 24 overall this year, but you look at the start of the season, you know, had to play Opelka, who was the 17th seed, second round of Indian Wells, loses round of 128 in Miami now, uh, had to play qualifying at the Madrid Masters, had to play qualifying at the Cincinnati Masters. Yes, there are some points early in the season for him to defend, but actually not really. Nothing really to defend till the start of May. He made Monte Carlo Masters round of 16, quarterfinals in Rotterdam, quarterfinals at a 250 in Punai. Like, that's not a lot for him to defend the first three, four months. He could be a top 20 player going into the Monte Carlo, Madrid, Roland Garros, Barcelona stretch of the calendar, the clay courts where he has succeeded most early in his career. And if he's a top 20 seed at the French Open, dare I say expectations will be for him to make the second week. Because again, not only the underlying athleticism, but that renewed ability to play aggressive front foot tennis. You look at the hold percentage, which has always been a struggle. He's holding serves 78.7% of the time this season, which is 5% below the tour average of a top 50 player. But since July 18th, holding serve 81.8% of the time. Okay, that's half a percent below the average top 50 player. You know, he's also breaking serve 26.6% of the time. That's 3.5% better than your average top 50 player. The serve has come along. The ability to win free points have come along. And he has just been, again, a different guy offensively over the course of the past four months. And that just shows plan A is coming together. The development is coming together. Obviously, Musetti was a highly touted junior, broke through early in his career, still 20 years old, and yet has established himself just as a guy in the mix moving forward. And he's going to have a tough match taking on a guy who through the first third of the season might have been your breakout star of the year in Miamir Kasmenovic. Now, things have subsequently calmed down for Kesmenovic, but still 39 and 23 overall here this season has won 63% of his matches is into the semifinals for a third time here this year, but has made nine different quarterfinals, even if he's only made three since the end of April. That said, Tokyo a couple of weeks ago, now another one here in Naples where he gets a good 5-2 and two win over, albeit a somewhat banged up Pablo Carreño Busta, but there's just a degree of physicality Kesmenovic brings to every match. He spreads the court extraordinarily well. The big number for Kesmenovic, the progress in his serve, has held serve 78.3% of the time for his uh, career average on the ATP Tour. He's up to 80.6 here this season. And you compound that with a 25% break percentage, which again is a top 25 number on the ATP Tour. You see the shades of a top 25, top 20 sort of player, a guy whose floor match in, match out. He's just going to make you work for it. He's going to move you around the court. There's a little bit more pace on that serve than you'd expect, a little bit more sting in particular on his slice out wide on the deuce, and it opens up so much court for him. The kick serve, he hits very well out wide on the ad. 
He's just kind of a twitchy, grippy, heavy racket speed sort of guy where there's a little bit more explosion on his ball than you'd expect. And he is a little bit of that IMG ball machine, but it's a tough out. And that's what he's been this week in wind over Mute, Caboli, Carreño, Busta. He's going to be a tough out against Musetti. That match feels like it has two hours written all over it. Man, that's a tough matchup, and they've never played before in their career. For what it's worth, Kesmenovic, a 56.2% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. I mean, he has made nine quarterfinals here this season, and yet you look for Kesmenovic, currently ranked 28 in the live rankings, new career high for the 23-year-old, another one in that group of players. You look, how fascinating is this? Chore, uh, just Let me just read this for you quickly. Demon Hour 23, Musetti 24, Runa, I like how I ask you if I can read it as if you have a choice, but leave it in, Westoff. Demon Hour 23, Musetti 24, Runa 25, Evans 26, that's the boring name. Chorich 27, talk about a guy who feels like name doesn't belong in that group. Kasmenovic 28, Sorundolo 29, Paul 30, Davidovich Fokina 31. The next gen is here. The next gen 2.0 is here. That's 23 through 31, and all but one of the players were born, excuse me, yeah, all but one of the players were born 1996 or later. The next gen is here to stay, folks. Like, the generational shift that I have alluded to for years now on this show, it's happened. And I think a reading of that rankings, by the way, above them, Kyrgios 20, Shapo 19, Hachinov 18, Tiafo 17. Like, and they should be here. They're all... 23 to 27 years old now. The original next-gen crew should be in the top 30 of the rankings. But the next-gen 2.0 is on the rise as well. This is why this jockeying for position late in the season matters. Kasmenovic has served better. Eh, has he? He served really well against Carreño Busta. But Musetti is just playing so confidently. He's hitting the first strike so thoroughly. I like how well his athleticism matches up. The patience he'll show in forcing Kasmenovic to have to create a little bit more than he's comfortable doing from uncomfortable positions. I'll take Musetti. I'll take an all-Italian final. Berrettini versus Musetti. And boy, would that be a good matchup for Berrettini. And then maybe we will turn back and be like, hey, Naples 2022. That's when Berrettini turned around his best of three hardcourt performance act, and it all came together for him. But look, that's an opening segment on Naples. I suppose 20 minutes was maybe a little bit longer than some of you listeners expected. That said, um, felt like we hadn't spent much time on that event and wanted to play catch up there. But that's not the only exciting ATP event happening this week. Of course, again, Stockholm quarterfinals were absolutely delightful. Let's talk about them now. First of all, First-seeded Stefano Tsitsipas, first-seeded top-seed Stefano Tsitsipas, a 5-3 and three victory over Michael Emer. You look for Tsitsipas now overall on this season. He has reached a tour-leading 10th semifinal now on the year. He's 6-3 and three in his previous nine, but hey— 10 semifinals in a season. Anytime you reach double digit amounts of semifinals and 10 semifinals in what, 23, I want to say, or yeah, 23 total events, or excuse me, in 20 total events. If you're reaching the final four and a half of your events, I know there was a disappointment at the U.S. Open. I know there was a disappointment in just the way he bowed out to Runa, I suppose, at Roland Garros, maybe the way he bowed out to Kyrgios uh, at Wimbledon as well. 
But everywhere else, it's been a year of progress for Stefano Tsitsipas. Or if not progress, he has held the form of, yeah, this is a top 10 guy moving forward. And again, big picture, that's something for us to discuss. But you look for Tsitsipas. What was so impressive is how decisive he was in spite of the pressure Emer put on him. Now, credit to Tsitsipas, who went up in early break in set number one. Emer got that break back on the back of shakiness for Tsitsipas, serving for the set and, you know, Got a little tentative moving forward. Emer capitalized on that. When you're in the middle third, that's when Emer really pounces because of the depth he generates on his ground strokes. And yet, from there, Tsitsipas continued to press forward with his forehand, continued to not let the ball drop when Emer hits those delightful lobs that buy him so much time. No, Tsitsipas played the overhead out of the air. It set up the rest of the point, if not ended the point. And you look for Tsitsipas, made 69% of his first serves, won 70% of his first serve points. Again, only broken once, but it was when he was already up a break in the first set, quickly gets that break back to close out the set 7-5. It's a good ending for Tsitsipas here, a good bounce back since the U.S. Open for him to make the final in Astana, but beat Rublev and Hercats and now beat a couple of guys who play too too varying, um, too very much varying. Is that how you say it? It's a tough conundrum or tongue twister. There it is uh, to get out, but two different playing styles in Emer and Cressy. Tsitsipas gets through both. Sets up a sneaky fun semifinal with Emil Rusevori. And listeners of our Crack Racket shows will know Rusevori will forever be on my list of players who you always got to keep an eye on. I call him Diet Yannick Sinner. You get about 80% of Sinner, a little less fluid, particularly on that backhand wing. Doesn't quite get outside the ball as well as Sinner does doesn't quite move as well as Sinner does, isn't quite as good of a volleyer as Sinner is either. But if Yannick Sinner's your benchmark, you're doing something right. And when Rusevori has his feet set, his ability to snap through a forehand, and yes, I say snap because go watch him hit that swing and describe it as anything other than snap, it's absolutely sensational. And He's moving extraordinarily well this week. He's hitting the backhand fluidly. He's dropped no more than three games in any set he's played. And look, Francis Tiafo didn't have many much legs underneath him. You look for Rusevori, who won 96% of his first serve points, didn't face a break point throughout the course of the match, one and two in an hour, two minutes. It wasn't the biggest test for Rusevori. And again, I'm not digging Tiafo here for his effort. It was just clear he didn't have much gas in the tank, particularly after his three-set win yesterday over Elias Emer. Um, that said, anytime Tiafo floated a slice, Rusevori found a forehand, and he had Tiafo on the run. And when Rusevori's feet are set, he can be dangerous. He plays with the sort of pace that can overwhelm that Tsitsipas backhand from the baseline. That said, Rusevori only has 77.1% hold percentage this season. That feels lower then the number needs to be for the 23-year-old moving forward. That said, you look for Rusevori. He reaches a third semifinal on the season. Has bit a bit as Gil Gross-Bransom, a January, uh, excuse me, February and October player of late in his career. We haven't seen the massive run at a slam. Part of that has been tough draws. Jack Draper had a pretty good U.S. Open. That's who he faced. Round one, he had Casper uh, Ruud. Round two in Roland Garros. Played a really fun match with Felix. Round one in Australia. 
part of that's a reflection of the ranking. But hey, you look for Rusevori in making the semifinals. He's now back into the top 50, up to number 43 in the live rankings, one victory away from a new career high of number 41. And top 50, you're getting into Indian Wells. You're getting into the Miami main draw. You're putting yourself in position for another jump. So going to be the first career head to ma- head matchup between Tsitsipas Rusevori. Tsitsipas, a 77.3% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. On the other side, let's get physical. Alex Demonauer has had a, has he had a good year? Again, this is something, it's a December podcast. I've already promised it to you listeners. I want to look at Demon Hour in depth because I want to discuss what is his upside moving forward. You look for Demon Hour on paper, he's a two-thirds rule recipient. 43 and 21 overall in the year. He is winning over two thirds of his matches. You look for him in reaching the semifinals here in Stockholm. It's his fifth semifinal overall in the year. He's now made six different quarterfinals. He's won his last five quarterfinal matches as well. For what it's worth, those five semifinals overall now on the year in terms of rankings on the ATP Tour 5 is just outside the top 10. It would be a top 15 number right alongside Rafael Nadal and Marin Cilic for what it's worth trailing the likes of the Djokovic, Nori Hercots, Felixes of the world. I mean, again, on paper, that's a pretty solid season. You look for Demon Hour, he has beaten everyone pretty much that he's supposed to beat. You look for Demon Hour this season, 21 and 4 against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Slipped up against Gaston Manorino on clay and grass courts, respectively. Tough loss to Nishioka, who's subsequently become a top 50 player and It was the week after he had won the title in Atlanta. Nishioka goes on to make that final in D.C., so I think that eight loss has aged well. Maybe the loss to Quan in Tokyo a little bit less so, but still 21-4 against opponents ranked outside the top 50, 38-9 against opponents ranked outside the top 20. The problem is he's 5-12 and 12 against top 20 opponents. And you look for Demon Hour, whose break percentage overall on the year, 28.8%, top 10 number amongst top 50 players on the ATP Tour. That passes with the eye test, puts a million returns in play, forces you to play an extra ball in every rally. The moment you hang something on his forehand, he's going to show that snappy twitchiness and slap through that forehand, generate pace for himself. And he's a very good volleyer, great touch at the net, uses his speed so well to, and his flexibility when at the net. You know, you look for him this season, that break percentage, 28.8 overall, it's 33.4% against opponents ranked outside the top 20. That number would rank number one on the ATP Tour. That would be better than Prime Djokovic, Prime Nadal. If you don't have an elite serve, he is going to break you one out of every... So he's probably going to break you twice per set. Against top 20 opponents, that break percentage, it drops to 17.7%. And I do think... If you have an elite serve, the way some of his losses this year, players like Felix, Fritz, Tsitsipas do possess, you can serve to that forehand. And because his backswing's a little bit bigger, he may leave that forehand return short. Now, the backhand's always going to be solid, but he'll also leave that backhand short if you can attack it with consistent depth. And, you know, again, top 20 players are capable of doing just that. And so what is the adjustment for Demon Hour moving forward to make his life a little bit easier to earn free points for himself for what it's worth against opponents ranked outside the top 20? His hold percentage, 81.3%. 
about a percent below the average of a top 50 player, but not too shabby considering the 33.4 break percentage against top 20 opponents that hold percentage down to 74.1%. So he becomes about 16% worse as a returner, about 7% worse as a server. Mathematically, that's not great. And that matches what we've seen with our eyes, that he doesn't have that easy, that non-negotiable weapon that he can generate for himself against elite competition. Now, can he develop that weapon? Has his forehand become more of a weapon? I think the answer is yes. Does he hit his spots on his serve a little bit better with a little bit more depth? I think the answer is yes. That said, again, this is a big match and a big opportunity for Demon Hour in Stockholm after getting the win over Shapovalov 2-6. and six, Just, again, Dennis didn't, did not have any rhythm to start the match, and Demon Hour asked so many relentless questions that there was just not much Shapovalov. You know, Shapovalov resorted to grinding, and that didn't work because the moment you come, become passive, Demon Hour does have weapons to make you pay if he give him time. Uh, and then Shapovalov did find his rhythm, and the second set was really good, but Demauer a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more athletic, came up with a couple of great passes in the breaker. It was a 2-6 and six victory for Demauer, and you know now he's going to take on Holger Runa, who was fantastic in a three-set win over Cam Norrie, 6-7, six, 6-3, six, three, six, three victory. It's his first win over Norrie in four attempts. You look for Runa now overall on the season, 38-26 and 26 here this year, 27-23 and 23 in ATP Tour level matches, but into a fourth semifinals had me and has made six different quarterfinals here this year. Let's not forget, Runa is 19 years old, and he already finds himself at a new career high, number 25 in the live rankings. If Carlos Alcaraz hadn't so slanted Coco Golf, so slanted our expectations of teenagers of late, we would all be marveling at what Runa has accomplished here this season. And he gets better on the forehand every time I watch him play. More aggressive on that wing, more confident behind his serve. You see his hold percentage has crept up above 80% now, which, again, still outside the top 25 average, but clear, you know, a, a 9% growth from last season, clear signs of improvement. I think he continue and will be a, a top 10 returner at his best. Yeah, the forehand can get picked on by an elite, elite serve, but you could say that about everyone. The backhand is just so natural. He's so fluid in the corners, can play the slice, play the drop shots. Again, has good hands and has shown a, a greater willingness to move forward. There's a lot to like about Holger Runa's game. He might have the easier weapons in tomorrow's matchup. I like his force, his ability to find first forehands a little bit easier than Demon Hours. I think he hits through the backhand, a, a, not a little bit, def, definitively more than Demon Hour. That said, you know, Demon Hour can match his improvisational skills. I like the decisiveness of Demon Hour more. I think that match goes three sets. I think it's going to be really fun for what it's worth. Demon, a 67.9% chance. Uh, percent favorite according to tennis abstract excuse me so i mean again Tsitsipas Rusevori, demon hour runa you know in napoli you've got uh, both musetti berrettini still alive obviously they're taking on fun opponents as well albeit they're both favorites but or no excuse me kasmanovic the favorite against musetti but Mackie a fun set as well you know again those are 
just two of your three tour-level events. We still have the action in Antwerp. And I tried to buy as much time for that Felix Dan Evans third set as possible for what it's worth as of recording. Right now, Felix Ogier Aliassime. 4-6-7-6-6-2 victory. He is into the semifinals in Antwerp, where he will now take on Richard Gasquet. That is a very good matchup for Felix. And, of course, Felix, earlier in the year, wins the title uh, in Rotterdam, then makes the final consecutive week in Marseille. Is he about to win the title in Florence and make the final consecutive week in Antwerp as well? a fun proposition and you look for Felix again to get that three set victory into another semifinal here this year it's a seventh on the season that moves him into sixth uh on the ATP tour here this year seventh semifinal sixth overall just to say those numbers again for all of you because I know that's a complicated number he obviously is a guy in terms of quarterfinals here this season reached a 14th here this week that leads the ATP tour I know it. he's had some disappointments, certainly, again, the Cressy loss, the, the uh, loss. Did he lose to Draper at the U.S. Open? No. Yeah, he did lose to Draper at the U.S. Open. But outside of that, the break percentage is a new career high. The uh, the hold per, excuse me the hold percentage is a new career high and a top fifteen number the first serve win percentage is a career high and a top ten number the break percentage is above his career average and continues to improve he continues to get more fluid in the outer thirds was able to withstand the trickery of Dan Evans Felix Ruggieri come from behind three set win to set up a semifinal with Richard Gasquet Gasquet two and six over David Goffin. And look, now Richard Gasquet in the rankings with his run here this week, back into the top 75, up to number 74 in the live rankings. You look for Gasquet, it's been a solid year, 33-23 and 23 overall on the season, 25-17 and 17 at the ATP Tour level, is into a second semifinal here this season, 36 years old. Is he the oldest player in the ATP Top 100 right now? Let's see. You look as of this. Richard Gasquet, currently 36 years old. You have Sosa's at 33, Fonini's at 35, Murray 35, John Isner 37 years old. He takes the cake at number 47. Is he the oldest player in the ATP Top 100 right now? He is. John Isner. Wow. Oldest player inside the ATP Top 100. How the winds have changed. Uh, But obviously, Richard Gasquet is in that conversation as well. But again, you're in the Top 75. You can play all the slams. Certainly, he'll get the chance to play the slam in Australia. And if he announces next year's his next year, I'm sure, uh, his final year, I'm sure he'd get wild cards into whatever he wants. That said, Felix is going to be an overwhelming favorite. His serve, his forehand into uh, that backhand, as good as the Gasquet backhand is, really into that forehand, I should say. He's got the pace to overwhelm Gasquet and Felix just moves too well every time Gasquet throws that forehand slice. He'll be prepared for it. Just saw a lot of slice, obviously, against Dan Evans as well. So I would lean heavy on Felix in that match. Of course, your match of the day, Dominic Team 3-6-7-6-7-6 victory, fights off a couple of match points against Hubie Hercots. First match point, Hubie overcooks a forehand. That's going to happen from time to time. The second match point, the physicality, the definitiveness of 
under pressure of team to hit the big forehand to move in behind that ball and ultimately to win the point on his terms and then you know to keep that level of focus level of physicality after team played a tight three set match the round before again three six seven six seven six team into another semifinal now here uh to conclude and build momentum for his 2022 season you look for Dominic team now again after starting the year uh losing his first seven matches team now 22 and 10 since that 0 and 7 run has made semifinals in Stad uh at a challenger in Hyon now obviously in Antwerp back to back uh was really good on cert fought off Three of the four break points that he faced won 81% of his first serve points, perhaps more notably 60% of his second serve points, was constant in his aggression towards the Hurricanes forehand, was constant in just, again, being willing to be 12 feet behind the baseline to get a clean swing on the return of serve. His down-the-line return winner in the third set breaker was breathtaking and comes up with a double mini break with another impressive sequence of passing shots as well. Team was locked in physically, and I think that was the biggest question for the 29-year-old here to end this year. And look, the Dominic team top 100 rise is coming. Team back up to number 113. One more win. He's back inside the top 100, back up to number 96 in the rankings. So team going to take on Sebi Korda, who just absolutely blitzed Yoshihito Nishioka. Six love, six two victory for Sebi Korda. It's now back-to-back semifinals for him after the run to the final last week in Hyon. Now wins over Giron, Hachinov, and Nishioka to get to the semifinals in Antwerp. It's exactly what the 22-year-old needed to end this year. He solidified his top 40 spot up to number 35, but a healthy 100-plus point gap between he and the number 40th ranked player. And that just means you're getting into everything to start the season. Now he's got a nice cache of points to sit on to uh, rely on throughout the course of the year and a really good opportunity over a team who's played six physical sets of tennis over the course of the past two days. Yeah, Court has played a lot of matches these past two weeks as well, but again, you probably give the physical edge to him over team in this one. So I... That's a fun match. I'm, I'm just looking forward to that one. I think it goes three sets. I do think Felix, again, gets through uh, Gasquet rather comfortably. But, hey, it's a really fun week of action on the ATP Tour here this weekend. Uh, certainly gives all of us tennis fans a reason tune in to tune in throughout the course of the weekend. That said, don't want to end today's show without an update on the action happening in Guadalajara. The race to the WTA year-end finals continues to narrow. In fact, it's down to our final two contestants. We know Arena Sabalenka has clinched her spot in the tour finals. That comes after Danielle Collins falls in her battle. Three sets to Maria Sakari. We want to get into that momentarily. You also had Victoria Azarenka knocking Madison Keys out of the race. Madison Keys a three-set loss to Azarenka. Oh, of course, Yelena Ostapenko also knocked out four and four by Veronica Kudermatova with those three losses. Spots clinched by Arena Sabalenka and Daria Kasakina, who, yes, lost her round of 16 match in three sets to Anna Kalinskaya, but manages to clinch a spot nevertheless. So, your final spot 
in Fort Worth. Comes down to two players, Veronica Kudermatova and Maria Sakari, who, as chances would have it, will face off here on Friday night, a match we have yet to cover, but we'll obviously lead tomorrow's podcast with in the Guadalajara quarterfinals. Sakari, for what it's worth, 2-1 and one in her career against Kudermatova, but Look, it's for all the marbles. And for Sakari, a 5-7-6-3-6-3 victory over Danielle Collins. She was up 5-3 in the first set, saw that lead dissipate, yet did not lose confidence. Continued to, perhaps most impressively, rely on her physicality throughout the course of the match. Yes, the plus-one opportunities were there for her, and she did a good job of asserting herself in her service games, breaking, uh, fighting off four of seven breakpoint chances, winning over 64% of her second-serve points. The big thing, though, was Collins clearly was feeling it in her legs and was playing big early in the rally and was just going for her shots. Anytime there was a short ball, Collins pounced on it to her credit and was really impressive down break points or down 5-3 in that first set and coming up with winners in the biggest moments of this match. And that's what Danielle Collins does. Again, when she's been healthy, she has been a top 10 player, particularly on hard courts this season. But Sakari relied on her physicality. Sakari ran out the clock on Collins in this two-hour, 17-minute match. And, you know, credit to Maria Sakari for going back to the fundamentals, particularly given some of the struggles she has had this season. Sakari, 35-21 and 21 overall now on the year, reaches the quarterfinals for the eighth time at an event this season. And gets to play for all the marbles against Veronica Kudermatova, who, you know, again, 2-1 and one she is in her career against Kudermatova. Now, uh, for what it's worth, you look for the two of these players. They faced off at the Australian Open. Sakari, a 4-1 and one victory there. Sakari also beat her. In Montreal last season, Kudermatova, a win in Istanbul back in 2019. But, I mean, Kudermatova's played well. 4-4 four and four over Ostapenko. She also earned a 4-5 and five win over last week's San Diego finalist, Donna Vakic. You look for Kudermatova. She's made double-digit quarterfinals this season, as we've alluded to. Veronica Kudermatova playing in a remarkable 11th quarterfinal in Guadalajara here this week. She's 7-3 and three in quarterfinals overall on the year. It's 8 versus 9 for the final spot in the year-end championships. Doesn't get better than this. So again, that will be the lead in tomorrow's show for what it's worth. Your other quarterfinalist, Buzkova, going to take on Kalinskaya according to the numbers. Kalinskaya, a 52.7% favorite. That's fascinating. And look, Kalinskaya... Did a great job of attacking every second serve she saw against Daria Kasatkina. We already talked about Buzkova's win over Samsonova yesterday. For what it's worth, Kudermatova, 50.7% favorite against Sakari in their quarterfinal match. So a couple of tight matches in Guadalajara. Two within two percentage points of each, of 50-50. I mean, come on now. That's the good stuff here in mid-October. Of course, you got the Battle of Americans as well. Sloan Stevens, a 6-5 and five winner over Caroline Garcia. She's going to take on Jessica Pagula. Pagula 2-0 and oh in the career head-to-head, but Sloan has always played really well in Mexico. Her ball in this elevation, it just kind of rips through the court really well. She moves extraordinarily well and is able to offer herself extra opportunities in rally. She's serving well here this week. That said, JPEG's been awesome. And so, again, that's going to be a fun matchup. Pagula, a little bit more comfortable, 76.7% favorite. And then, look, Vika was great against Madison Keys. Forced Keys into the outer thirds 
at every opportunity throughout the course of their match. And Keyes did a great job of responding in set number two. Just kept things much more simple in going after her first strike down the line and accepting, you know what, I may miss, but at least I'm going to miss on my terms here in this match. And she didn't miss. And she landed the first serve with success. And she forced Azarenka to get stretched. That said, wasn't able to sustain that level in the third set. And credit to Victoria Azarenka, who not only played exceptional first strike offense, but also did a good job absorbing Key's first blow in that third set on defense as well. So it'll be Vika versus Goff in the other quarterfinal. Goff, a 67.7% favorite. I know that's a blitz through the action in Guadalajara, but again, we'll have renewed focus on today's quarterfinal results to lead tomorrow's show, of course, for what it's worth. At the 125K in Rowan, uh, Golubic going to take on Gracheva. Zanevska going to take on Rakimova. Golubic, a 48.5% favorite to win the tournament, according to Tennis Abstract. That said, the theme. The jockeying continues this week on the ATP and WTA Tour. Hopefully, all of you tennis fans now feel apprised on all of the action that's unfolding. Of course, we'll continue to cover it here throughout the course of the weekend. Don't want to fall behind on all of our coverage. And i got to keep up to date with everything happening in Guadalajara. With that said, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westa, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out, as well, to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.